Hello, listeners. I am here to thank our newest review leavers, which is my favorite reason to be here. So this week, I'm saying thank you to Flower Boys 1900 and Adnesentia. Sorry if I got that totally wrong. Who left us really beautiful iTunes reviews. And if you want me to read your iTunes leaving name at the top of this podcast, hop on over and leave us five stars and some kind words. And I will, you'll hear your name at the beginning of the next episode. So with that. The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello. And welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast for two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are going to be talking about chapter two of Chamber of Secrets, Dobby's Warning. Recap. Harry meets Dobby, who is a house elf. Dobby is the one who has been keeping all of Harry's letters in a poor attempt to keep Harry from going to Hogwarts in order to protect him. Harry refuses because abuse at Hogwarts is apparently better than abuse at the Dursleys. Dobby is not convinced. He ruins Petunia's uh, pudding via levitation, which has the unfortunate uh, effect of Harry to be imprisoned by the Dursley until finally someone shows up to rescue him. We start this episode off with today's headlines. America's favorite Griffin dandy fails for the first time to find a humorous headline. Sources say the chapter was just too upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) This chapter is I tried, you guys. I'm sorry. (sighs) We turn to the front page, where we talk about all the things that don't belong in other sections of this newspaper. Um... So, can we start by talking about Dobby and Jar Jar Binks and what the fuck was going on in 1999 that made everybody want to write these characters? Uh, we can, because I did not ever actually make that connection. Yeah, I had to verify. I was like, was one of them ripping off the other? But no. The U.S. release of Chamber was 1999, and episode one also was released in 1999, so there was like some sort of like weird unfortunate synchronicity taking place where everybody wanted to write these characters and why? I feel like there are YouTube videos that could tell you about the how and why of Jar Jar Binks. I can't <laughs> tell you anything beyond that besides I don't know what anyone was thinking. It's 
it's not a good character. <laughs> I mean, we love Dobby, but there is like so much that's fucked up that we'll get into in politics. And I just don't understand. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, she she tried with this one, but... <laughs> Did she? I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the intention was. So, anyway. Uh, on a lighter note, I was very... It's very nice that Harriet was like, want to be like, what are you? And then realized that was a rude-ass thing to say and did not say it. And I'm like, good for you, Harriet. Yeah, I actually put that in politics because I want I I do want to sort of like dig into the um what are you question that gets levied at people of color by white people and the uh. fact that Harry is a 12-year-old talking to someone of a different species and knows better than to say what are you. Um so, can, do you want to save that for politics or do you want to talk about it now? Yeah, let's just save it for politics. Okay. Um, but yes, Harry did a very good job. I wrote 10 out of 10 in my book. Mm-hmm. You might you might have this somewhere, um, but when Davi is like, he's heard of Harry Potter's greatness, and mm-hmm. I just want to, I was just imagining, like, so do you think Draco is, like, talking to Dobby all about Harry? Oh, my God. Um, I did not have that anywhere. <laughs> I'm so pleased that you just brought that up. <laughs> totally he totally does i mean we're gonna we're gonna get validation of how much draco talks about him right because the whole nocturne alley thing happens in this book right yeah draco has spent like this entire summer just talking about harry potter Mm -hmm. to whoever will listen to him yeah (laughs) and it is a little bit endearing actually yeah it's like a really cute crush he definitely is that kid in sixth grade who like knocks the books out of the hand of the girl he has a crush on which is like terrible behavior that's rooted in toxic masculinity and like men not knowing how to express their feelings however it is a thing that exists that draco is playing out very clearly for us i feel like draco plays that out basically this entire series (laughs) oh totally yeah, he just is like, oh, feelings. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I can't imagine the Malfoy household is big on feelings. I don't know. <laughs> totally not. Yeah. Yeah, not a real feelingsy place, and also like not a very safe place to like come out. So, and like to have a crush on like your family's like stated enemy or whatever must be very complicated. I definitely, of all of the villains in this series, I have the most, like, sympathy for Draco, but I think that that sympathy is really rooted in reading him as a queer character who has feelings for Harry. Yeah. I feel like you kind of see that, like, Draco has learned from his experience, and it maybe wouldn't totally make the same mistake as, like, say, other characters in these books, mm-hmm. like Snape, who, like, d- don't learn anything, and it's like, bro you know Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah for sure i feel so proud of you that you just said that (laughs) 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 we've made progress (laughs) um okay so going back 
to something we talked about a lot in the last episode regarding J.K. Rowling not being super good at writing all the time. This is one awkward ass chapter. There, this whole thing where Harry is talking to Dobby and Dobby's like, oh, your greatness. And Harry's like, whatever you've heard about my greatness is a load of rubbish. I'm not even top of my year at Hogwarts. That's Hermione. She, and then he stops. And it's like, that is just like a nonsense thing. I don't know. (laughs) Just, I'm not great. I'm not even top of my year. Like, what the fuck? You're like, it's bad. And then it happens again so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I spoke Voldemort's name. I know lots of people don't like it. My friend Ron, dot, dot, dot. Like, what? No one likes it. I. It's just really bad. And then it comes up again when Harry's like, there's Dumbledore for one thing. You know who Dumbledore is, don't you? And Dobby goes... Albus Dumbledore is the greatest headmaster Hogwarts has ever had. Dobby knows it, sir. Dobby has heard Dumbledore's powers rival those of he who must not be named at the height of his strength. But, sir, there are powers Dumbledore doesn't, etc. Like, do... uh, This is literally at at the beginning of the last book. This is the first information we got about Dumbledore. It's like, we need to establish within the first 17 pages that Dumbledore is the greatest wizard that has ever happened and his powers rival those of Voldemort's at the top of his power. So like last time we were like, Oh wait, this isn't actually exposition because it's just like narrative or whatever. But like this is exposition and this is very bad exposition. Yeah, no, it's, it, I, it's like, it is worse than in the first chapter. And it's like, it is really, it's, it is really awkward. She's usually, like, pretty okay at dialogue, too. And this is just, like, really bad dialogue. Yeah, this definitely is not... These these are not strong chapters. Just, like, a, a weight that just is, like... Just yeah. Maybe um, not a weight. It's more like, um... Gak? For anyone <laughs> who was a child in the 90s. Uh, Gak is a glow-in-the-dark, probably highly toxic, very strange-smelling substance that comes in a weirdly shaped container and is gloppy but holds together. And I feel like these sentences are Gak. They just, like, fall on the page and splat. (laughs) That's what they do. I feel like for people who are not children in the 90s, uh, what is it, slime? Whatever the kids are doing these days is pretty much the... It's pretty similar. Okay. So, I yes. don't know about slime. It's a thing. But yeah, it sounds sounds like it's probably the same. Anyway, these sentences are like heavy, gloppy things. <laughs> That's what they are. That's what we're trying to say. I feel like I feel like I just thank you, figured out what, what my words was gonna be. <laughs> um, okay. <clears throat> I'm here for you. <laughs> Speaking of old cultural references i feel like (laughs) i feel like dobby in this chapter is the like living embodiment of the you tried meme like i feel like this is what like this whole chapter is like i mean though dobby is totally right because hogwarts is dangerous as fuck yeah like i'm glad someone is like maybe you shouldn't go to the school That's true. This is a weird tactic, but we have a later section to talk about this weird tactic, so 
All right. So my last, unless you want to say more about that. No, I don't. All right. So my last, uh, I almost said my last exposition, my last front page (laughs) is that Dobby pulls Harry's stack of letters out from inside his pillowcase. And I just need to know where those were. Yeah, I was, (laughs) I think I wrote in my notes just like nowhere pocket because I'm just like, wait, like, like, did he sew a pocket in there? Because I'm just like, he would, I feel the way Dobby's described. Harry would have noticed a giant, like, bundle of envelope-shaped lump. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Like. Maybe he's wearing, like, a money belt. <laughs> oh, my God. I just, I, yeah, it's, like, that's a weird, that's a weird thing to do. And I, I don't know, I feel a little uncomfortable about it. I don't imagine that house elves wear anything underneath their pillowcases or, like, whatever, too so like hot dobby like reaching up underneath also pulls up like a mildly disturbing visual (laughs) so yeah that's a thing anyway yeah that uh, yeah i also don't know where those letters are coming from but it, it sounds very awkward yep all right uh i just have a couple of other front page things okay I guess this probably goes without saying, but whatever Vernon's golfer joke was, it was hella racist. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have one more thing, which is uh, Mrs. Mason being terribly afraid of birds is like, and then like an owl speaking out of nowhere and freaking her out is like a little bit funny. It is funny. But also like, if you were afraid of birds, your life as a witch would suck. That's true. Like, there's, like, you don't have, like, there's, like, nothing you can do because there's just fucking birds everywhere. I want to say, though, if you're afraid of birds, just your life would suck. There's birds everywhere. Like, regardless of whether or not you live in a world where owls deliver the mail, <laughs> like, birds are a fact of life regardless. It's also very convenient that this person had, like, this massive fear of birds narratively convenient yeah and also like mr mason being like is this some kind of joke and it's like how would anyone know that your wife was deadly afraid of birds and then also like having an owl fly into your house is like real bizarre yeah welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up so let's loop back to the thing that happened in um the front page where Harry wanted to ask what are you but thought it would be too rude and said who are you instead probably none of our listeners need to be told that it's fucked up to say what are you to a person but this is a thing that happens in the world a uh, lot. this is a thing that's definitely happened to me uh, more than too many times I would say um, especially with people who have never met brown people before and especially not someone who looks ambiguously ethnic like I do. <laughs> and it's always like, what, what do you expect me to say? Like chimera unicorn? Like, wh- like what? <laughs> what? So yeah, don't do that to people. <laughs> uh, when, when, when Riley asks Buffy, what are you in relation to her being, super strong and she says Capricorn on the cusp of Aquarius I feel like that's a good answer 
<laughs> Though I also like Chimera because that's very threatening. So, And I just feel like Harry Potter, for once, this book series is setting a good example. <laughs> and um, showing us what that that doing that is rude. I mean, you know, Harry's a good kid. Also, if we're if we're if we're reading this as uh, you know Harry Potter as a POC, he's probably also gotten this question. So that's true, especially given that like Dudley is his cousin. Um, Dobby. Yeah, let's start with let's start with Dobby specifically, and then we can maybe move out into the bigger issue of house elves. Cool. Sounds good. Go ahead. It's really painful to watch all of Dobby's trauma and self-harm. Mm-hmm. So, um, it also, I wrote a note that it feels like sometimes the inside of my brain, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> I recognize this cycle of saying a thing and being, and then be like, no, you're wrong. You need, you deserve to be punished. And then like cycle again. And I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Dobby does, also does not have great mental health and I feel for him. Yeah. Yeah. Dobby. Oh, God. So it's like. Jesse, I don't know. So this is this is our uh, first time meeting Dobby and sort of maybe learning directly more about the dark underbelly of the witching world. That seems right. Yeah. And the fact that there are like literal slaves. Like. You know, and I've, I have like, I feel like a bunch of questions about this because I mean, okay, so let's, let's just going to get this out of the way. This, the whole thing about house elves is like, I guess it's a like ham fisted, like not very great metaphor where it's like about slavery, I guess, but it doesn't work very well. No, it's awful. And, like, especially since this also kind of goes in with her maybe slightly working better, like, witch racism that also happens in this book that comes up. Mm-hmm. And it, it like, it isn't, it isn't great because as opposed to, like, as opposed to sort of, like, really exploring a metaphor and a sort of narrative of, like, how wizards treat, you know, like, non-magical beings, it feels like it's trying to say something about like slavery and people that is it great considering that like there's this whole thing in this book where it's like or like in this series where it's like dobby's it's it makes it seem like dobby's a weirdo and like mm-hmm. none of the other house elves really want to be quote-unquote free from their families and it's like i don't know yeah it's a it's a really weird choice i don't know what she was doing i like it feels like she's trying to make a point like some kind of like socially aware point but like it just falls flat well it starts out seeming that way in this book but then the next time we encounter house elves it's like everybody including like hagrid and like the weasleys are like oh no they like it so like wait a second you know it's like all of a sudden you're like Hmm, wait i thought one thing was happening and now like that's clearly not what's happening so what is happening 
Yeah. And there's never an answer. And, like, Hermione and Spew are, like, a joke. And I know that we said we were going to try and constrain this conversation to this book. <sighs> I feel like they're based in um, brownies. They're, like, a, I think, um, Scottish, like, fairy lore. Um, they're elves that do housework, but you have to pay them. Um, so they, like, do housework while you're while you're sleeping but you have to like leave something out for them okay so i just pulled it up um this says like a bowl of milk or cream or another offering and you leave it by the hearth and then they like do chores for you but they're also very easily offended and if you piss them off you get hella punished and so i feel like she took the idea of brownies and was like but what if (laughs) like what if i just made them at, like enslaved instead i mean i think that definitely makes sense uh i realized when i was writing my notes out how this about how this even came about between wizards and house elves i was like oh i should probably do some research about like yeah like elves and brownies and like you know those kind of folklore but i guess i was just sort of even just thinking about it i guess just in terms of like this the series where it's like like house elves as such a common magical being that like there's like what hundreds of them working at at Hogwarts and like you know a bunch of the old you know witching families have them and it's sort of like it's like how tales are built into the the landscape of the witching world mm-hmm. but like we still don't know enough about them mm-hmm. for that to like make sense and it's not like the centaurs where it's like oh they're mysterious and I don't like people and they hang out in the woods you know right yeah it's not it's not great i feel like we definitely get enough information about like the way that wizards view witches view non-human magical creatures that like i think it's very fair to say that if they could like subjugate goblins and giants and centaurs and like use them for their own purposes they absolutely would Which is why I'm actually upset that we never learn more about all the, like, witching goblin wars. Which seems to be that, like, witches are, like, probably trying to do that, and goblins were like, no, fuck you. Right. Yeah, and it's, like, (laughs) there's apparently a lot, because that's literally, like, all Harry learns about in History of Magic for seven years. Which, that's weird. But, (laughs) yeah, I don't... It's just, it's one of the things in the series that I think once you try to examine it more, it sort of falls apart. Right. Yes. That's a really Um, good way to say it. And like, this is how I feel about anything she tries to say about how the witching world works in the United States, which I think completely falls apart once you try to think your way through how did like the transatlantic slave trade work when people had magic. Like it just, I think everything just sort of like... I'm just like, you wouldn't fucking have, and, you know, like, how, like, international statutes of secrecy, like, fuck that. Like, I don't think that, like, African witches are going to be like, all right, cool, take all of my people across this murder boat to be enslaved, you know? Like, I'm just like... uh, Hang on a second, because slavery wasn't outlawed in England and its colonies until, like, two years before the U.S. outlawed slavery. I think it's really easy to... Like, we are maybe, like, 
somehow trained to think that it was like an American issue only, but like there were definitely, I think I read it earlier because I wanted to, to see exactly when it was outlawed. And the article that I read said that when they did abolish slavery in England, um, between actually in the UK and all of their colonies, 800,000 slaves were freed. I didn't know that. Anyway, yeah, I don't understand how, like, international witching society works once you get into, like, colonization slavery. I'm going to go ahead and say that it works the same way as, like... Uh, like our complaints about like climate change not that those are comparable but like it looks it seems to be the case that like the witching society just turns their back on i mean it would be the same if we were talking about like the world wars right they just are like well that's like a muggle problem and they just ignore it i guess i just can't imagine like any muggle-born people where it's like there's a strife happening in the in the witching world's like that's that's your problem and being like, okay, yeah, I'll just ignore what's happening around me to be a witch. Like, I just feel like that. I mean, it's probably like fucking Hermione trying to like raise issues. It's like, you know, however many Muggleborns there are being like, wait, we should do something about this. And everybody else being like, eh, it's a Muggle problem. And then there's just like not enough of you. I don't know. I think I think regardless, it it troubles me. Oh, it's horrible. I, I am not <laughs> definitely not being like it's fine. No, I think it's like super, super, super fucked up, and like in no way excusable. But like, if we're asking the question of like how did this happen, I think the answer is like people being passive and like viewing things as like not their problems because they don't directly impact them. I think. One day, as a Patreon exclusive, we can go into what I imagine a U.S. witching world would look like, which would take, I think, an hour of me <laughs> <laughs> explaining all of my rationales. Yeah. Anyway, whatever she's trying to say with house elves is she fails at. Yes. You know? Correct. Um, yeah. So... Okay. Are we done with our Dobby talk? I think for the time being. Okay. I mean, we're going to get more into it, I think, in the course of this book, so. Yeah. All right. Child abuse? (laughs) Yup. Great. Hooray. Uh, It's really bad in this chapter. JKR really, like, I don't know what her boner for, like, abusing harry is but it's real large for real dude um i mean they like he's basically in solitary confinement yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like okay like what and i think so it's very upsetting it's so upsetting i think what upsets me the most is harry being like oh maybe when i don't show up at school someone will come look for me and it's like he could have spent like two months basically in solitary confinement with his like family. And it's like, what? Yeah. Hogwarts really does all of these kids a disservice by not having any kind of like checks and balances about like how these kids are in like the summertime. It's like Harry could have starved to death and like 
who would the who the fuck would have known i don't but that's i i don't think it's right to like put that on hogwarts like did i mean our schools I mean, didn't I mean, check up on us in the summertime like that's not that's not their responsibility i guess you're, you're right you're correct i guess i'm just upset that like harry could have starved and no one anywhere you know would have known until he was dead you know also hang on it takes like a while to starve to death as long as you have water you can live a very long time without food and he's getting some food like he could have lived for like many many years he's 12 and very dramatic about about his prospects on you know an insufficient amount of soup he's i am not denying how horrible what's happening to him is but like he absolutely was not going to starve to death okay fair it's still it's awful also how does hedwig literally not starve to death uh snowy owls only eat meat yeah like it's like don't you like harry like they don't make it like owl chow and i mean like obviously like this is a terrible situation but i'm like hedwig is not gonna eat these like soggy like from a can of campbell's soup vegetables but it is like so tender that it like brings tears to my eyes that he shares like honestly it sounds like the bulk of the actual like solid food from that soup he gives to hedwig i mean she is his only his his constant friend and companion i know but it's so tender i know and she does drink orange juice later in the series so like magic owls maybe have a more diverse palate (laughs) they have their what what they can eat has been expanded because they live with people and i don't (laughs) sure yeah (sighs) this is like really bad this is really bad and I feel like, you know, the dude that came to, like, put bars on the window, for instance, should have been very concerned. Right. It's like you're putting bars on the window of one upstairs room of a house in a suburb or wherever the fuck. And it's clearly a child's room. Mm-hmm. Like, the fuck do you think is happening? Yeah. Like... Like, what possible, besides, like, I don't know, human trafficking or something? Like, I'm like, nothing good. No, there is no good scenario of you putting bars in one room of a house. Yeah. In, like, a middle class area. Yeah. So, as promised, we are going to have a discussion about meaningful interventions for child welfare and like what it would what kind of um changes offerings whatever the ministry would need to make in order to be able to like provide that although i guess in a lot of ways we're also talking about what that would look like in the muggle world yeah this is a rough topic honestly there are not a lot of good answers we could, let's start off simply. Let's just sort of talk about maybe like Har- like Harry's direct situation. Like how could we, how could have Harry's direct, his experience like been dealt with in a way that's, that didn't lead to him having a childhood f- full of abuse. So 
honestly, I feel like that's what makes it so complicated, at least in my, like, how I, when I've been trying to think about this, is that both Harry and Neville, like, no matter what, no matter how many changes you make to society and, like, the programs that are available and, like, things that you make available to parents and whatever there will always be children who need to be removed from their homes. And Harry and Neville are both in situations where they need to be removed from their homes. I've thought really hard about it, and I can't pull up a vision of a future in which Petunia gets access to some form of aid that allow like prov- that changes things enough that she would not continue harming Harry in the way that she's harming Harry. You know, I actually I think I might have to disagree with you because I think that I mean, as we discussed already, like Vernon Dursley is a problem. Like he is not a good person. He is abusive mm-hmm. to his family. Mm-hmm. But what I think could have been dealt with better is if and I'm not even necessarily even saying like Dumbledore but like there could have been better communication between like Petunia and like Dumbledore and other like witches in in the position to like kind of uh make these decisions about Harry and could have like had a dialogue with her you know as opposed to just being like, here's a letter and a baby, you know, peace out. Like, Oh, so you're like going back to the, like the beginning of Harry's placement in that home. Yes. Okay, so I was only thinking about things like sort of like at this point where Harry is 12. Mm, okay. Um, I'm interested in having the discussion from the standpoint that you're at. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think at this point, Harry 12, beginning of Chamber of Secrets, like, he like, shouldn't be he like i mean it's not like a situation where like he's being separated from a loving family it's like he's in a family where they don't love him and they're like abusing him right and it's like and it's like the least common scenario oftentimes irl children are removed from families where the actual best case scenario would be to get the mom and the children all out of the home and together and Mm -hmm. often just the children are removed and the mothers are blamed for like not protecting the kids Mm -hmm. from the same person that they themselves need to be protected from petunia is objectively being abused by vernon she also needs to be gotten out of that house but i i can't imagine that there's a way where it's like okay we get petunia and dudley and harry out petunia gets therapy and suddenly her attitude towards harry changes yeah quickly enough that like it's okay like honestly i think that if if some sort of intervention were to happen that did get her out it would take so long for her to like get to a place of realizing that like she had been abused and was better off that like instead of just like hating Harry for like being her sister's kid she would also then be hating Harry 
for like ruining her marriage and right. like you know taking away and her like stability. Her, right, and her like entire like upstanding normal suburban like housewife vibe that she has going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it. I think part of it is another part of it is that like it's sort of like I guess maybe even like sort of implicit in the books that like Harry doesn't have any other surviving family members, which I mean is also another, you know, IRL, like often if there's like other, you know, family members to kind of pick up any kind of like slack or like to watch, you know, or to like become guardians of children in not great situations. Like that would be a good situation, a better situation to be in. Right. To be placed with like a grandparent or something. Right. And so I just find it difficult to believe that, like, they're, like, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to go to some, but, like, maybe even, like, a far-off, like, cousin would be better than, like, Petunia, who has just such an active, like, dislike and hatred of where Harry is coming from, like, what that means with her own sort of family trauma. And then also, and maybe Petunia, like, maybe Petunia blames Harry for the sort of, like, vernon's like abuse and anger you know right yeah i mean honestly like literally pretty much everyone in the witching world would have been like gung-ho to adopt the boy who lived i'm sure that they at when he was an infant could have placed him with a family that like would have been a good situation for him and i mean this this is always kind of frustrated me about the series on a whole is that we like don't really know anything about Lily. Like, the only friend that we know of is Snape. And it's like, does Harry just not have a godmother? Like, did Lily just not have any friends who could have also been, like... Like, if she was so, like, well-loved and popular, like, she should have had people who were ride or die for her, just as James had, like, the Marauders. So. So I'm imagining right now, like, so... As much as we would like to assume otherwise, I do think that the witching world is very homophobic. And... Um, I'm imagining that, like, Lupin is low-key Harry's godmother. And, like, just that wasn't, like, public knowledge because, like, his and Sirius's relationship was not public knowledge. So not actually. I'm being weirdly gender essentially, but I, I feel like Lupin was Harry's other godparent as um, the the life partner of Sirius. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's why it's just, like, just so much, like, extra tragedy that, like, we didn't get Harry living with his two godparents past book three. Yeah. Like, that's literal. like, it would have been so great. It really would have been. So, yeah. So, but can we, can we, like, jump back to what you were talking about in terms of, like, when Harry was initially placed with the Dursleys, like, what kind of interventions you feel like could have been meaningfully made to change his circumstances with them? I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is that there should have at least been, at the very least, a dialogue that was like, hey, Petunia, I know that you're basically estranged from your sister, but she's dead, and we have your nephew, and we kind of need her him to live with you, but... I mean, there could have been an offer of assistance. She could have been a part-time caregiver, you know? Like... Mm. Like, Harry is still, if Harry is still protected by Lily's sacrifice when he live, basically lives at Hogwarts, he could have 
lived at the Dursleys for like a few weeks out of the year and then live with someone else, you know, like, I mean, so there's that. And just, it's just frustrating when it's like, when it has become clear to someone, to Dumbledore at the, like, obviously that like he, Harry's not in a good situation. I think if like McGonagall showed up and was like, you know what? Harry's not living here anymore. They would have been like, great, take him. Here's his freaky trunk and his weird owl and so long. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's totally true. I mean, they they don't they don't want him. They've never wanted him. Yeah, like um, Harry is an an unwanted child in this situation. You know. Yeah, and a lot of times situations like that are like a lot more complicated. Like, you know, children that are being treated like Harry, whose parents still would like be offended or whatever by the idea of their kid being taken away um but the dursleys i think it's like they'd be pretty down to not Mm -hmm. have him yeah so like what about neville it seems hard maybe i mean maybe it's not that hard clearly neville has some extended family on both sides there's got to be one person who's not a complete douchebag and like trying to like make him quote unquote make him perform magic there's got to be someone in his family that is at least like tender and kind towards neville and then he should just go live with them yeah but i think so i feel like what we promised was to talk about like what kind of social program we would envision that would like provide that that answer you know that would like who comes in and when and what does that look like and like where does Neville go in the interim? So here's the thing, is what I'm seeing. Is that if you're not using unforgivable curses and you're not doing anything that might endanger the statue of secrecy, it doesn't seem like the ministry is really involved in those kind of things at all. We, Your brother, right, the thing that we'll talk about in a letter to the editor episode, part of what he mentioned was, like, is this a libertarian society? And I feel like the answer to that is, like, yeah, it's, like, some sort of weird combination of, like, a dictatorship and libertarianism. <laughs> so, so what I'm thinking is that if you had a system where, since there aren't, like, public schools of any kind in the, like, witching world or primary schools... That if you had a system that was sort of like some equivalent of like checking in on like magical children, you know, like I feel like I feel you could maybe create like a system within the witching world where you're checking in on children before they're 11 because that's ridiculous. And the fact that there's like not any kind of standard to make sure everyone can fucking read or like do math or have like correct grammar is like bonkers already. So I feel like dealing with child abuse in the witching world is also just dealing with the way, like, having some systems so that, like, these children aren't just being noticed in the witching world when they're 11. Like, fucking, I don't know, magical head start or something where all the kids are learning letters and numbers and colors something i mean like, i think that that's correct at, at first you were like they should check in on the kids and i was like well like we don't do that but then at the same time like ron had never met seamus or lavender before going to hogwarts i don't know if ron ever interacted with another witch that was not his sibling until yeah. he went to hogwarts because they're so 
scattered. And like, yeah. that's not and, good. Like, especially for only children like Neville. And Draco. And Draco. Right. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess if you're not going to like have a society where like kids are hanging out at the playground together, you know, like even most homeschoolers in the U.S. have homeschool groups, you know, or like yeah. Boy Scouts, you know, like Evan, my partner, like where he lived initially, there were like a bunch of other like hippie homeschool people. And so he had homeschool like groups where the parents would take turns teaching. And then everyone else got sick of living in the middle of nowhere and moved away. But then his parents immediately were like, fuck, okay, well, you're going to like be in Boy Scouts for the rest of time because like, you still have to have social interactions and like we're not gonna like co-homeschool with the fundamentalist christians so like this is our alternative and at least you're gonna like see other kids a couple times a week and like learn how to be a human being you know wait sorry side note i think it's very lovely that evan was a was a boy scout and also like that makes so much sense also <laughs> He that's, might a, that's incredible. Take that out. Sometimes he gets embarrassed when I tell people that he's an Eagle Scout. <laughs> I I love it. I can totally see it. I feel like if the Boy Scouts weren't super conservative, he would be the ideal Boy Scout. He, um, <laughs> we looked uh, a few years ago when we were at his parents' house. We like tore his childhood bedroom apart trying to find his like Eagle Scout medal to mail back to the Boy Scouts because like a lot of people are doing that where they're like. <laughs> Um, fuck you, I don't, I, like, reject my Eagle Scoutness because you're homophobic assholes. Um, mm. we tried really hard to find it, but it is lost to the sands of time, so he is, maybe for this is me announcing to the Boy Scouts <laughs> officially. <that laughs> we'll send, we'll, we'll put this audio, we'll put this audio clip and just email them a, like, little audio clip of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that there isn't a, like, witching version of the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts is, like, like, all these kids who are pure blood and like I guess maybe half blood are living in isolation. Yeah, it's a real problem. And that's something that I'd never even like spent enough time thinking about before because this problem is like so much bigger. It's like, okay, we need I would like we need social programs like childcare because for instance, like I've always sort of been like a little bit confused about like why Molly Weasley because she's like clearly a badass witch like why is she a homemaker not that there's anything wrong with being a homemaker but like I'm realizing now like she had to be some one of them had to stay home with the kids because there isn't childcare. like that is a real problem Arthur doesn't make enough money to support all of their kids if Molly could have worked they would have been much better off they would have been like in a better position to like support their family but that's not even really a choice that they had like one of them had to be home like we would need like complete governmental reform to be able to like have some sort of meaningful like child abuse prevention in the witching world i mean they would need to have more of a functioning government than they do like the the government is really only about like, do muggles notice us? Are you murdering or torturing people? Also, if you're a werewolf, you don't matter because werewolves are dangerous creatures. Like, end of list. Like, there's like and surveilling everyone twenty four seven and surveilling twenty everyone twenty four seven. So it's like, 
Yeah. And yet someone, and yet everyone still manages to work at the ministry. Like, the career options in the witching world are bonkers. bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And they really just need some version of a social worker and therapist and... Yeah. It seems like in the witching world, poverty looks different because it doesn't seem like people in the witching world, at least as far as we can see, are like... Because if you have magic, you're not, like, starving, you know? Like, you know, like, the Weasleys are very poor, but, like, because of magic, they can afford to feed eight people. What if Arthur died? I'm sorry. Like, there is so much wrong. Like, what if Molly was a single mother? What if, like, while all the kids but Bill were still at home, something happened to Arthur? Before I think about that, I just realized I don't think there are, are there, there aren't any single parents mentioned in the Harry Potter series, are there? We we assume that Seamus' parents are divorced and Dean is raised by a single mother. But Dean is also muggable. Correct. I mean, like, witching, like, single parents. We don't have any proof that his dad isn't in the picture, but the only mention we ever get of his dad is that... And his dad was a muggle, but yeah, is that his dad didn't know that his mom was a witch. And then, like, I mean, when we meet his mom at the World Cup, it's just Seamus and his mom. So I assume that his parents are divorced. But And so I don't know. Like, what did she do? What did she do with Seamus? Like, maybe she had a friend that she could leave him with during the day while she went to work? Or Yeah, because I feel like there isn't... she was, like, relying on fucking muggle systems to get child support from his dad that she never would have gotten if she had been... If they'd both been witches. I mean, maybe it, because we never get any inkling about like Seamus's like financial situation at all, right? You know, so like, yeah. I mean, who knows? That's a good question. Sorry, I got really off topic because I just needed to hear that point. Yeah, to answer your question, no, I have. I think that's a really good point. I have no idea what, like, if Molly had, you know, been a single parent, what she would have done. Had a really terrible relationship with Aunt Muriel, probably. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Because, like, the other thing I think about that it's weird is never mentioned is, like, in both the wars, there's got to be a fuck ton of, like, war orphans. Like, where are those kids going? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, obviously Harry is a war orphan. Like, the whole, the first book starts off with this, you know? But, like, people who aren't being personally groomed by Dumbledore like the fuck happens to those kids I guess I guess to go back to a couple of points ago I feel like Neville's grandmother would does would not want Neville to not be living with her and so if that was a motivation for her to like like if she had to do some stuff in order to keep Neville in her home that could possibly be a good reason and also maybe to cut off the other relatives that are like, we're just going to drop Neville out of a fucking window and off of a pier? No. That's true. Can't do this to children. Yeah, I think you're right. She probably would have consented to family counseling. And like, if there were the resources to put some sort of like, you know, consistent, effective, not overworked, like social worker in place to be like really keeping up with what was going on with him. Like they're that actually, you're probably right that that would have worked because she never would have stood for, like, having him taken away. 
this is gonna sound silly, but this is some maybe this is something that uh paid house house elves could do. <laughs> That's true. You don't know if they're there or not. They have like amazing un unknown powers, but also they just seem. I mean, it's like they definitely can make a connection with people mm-hmm. in a way that's like very loving and very loyal you know so and they clearly also have like their own sort of minds and like can use their best judgment and like maybe because so many things that happen in the witching world are very political that might be an actual like good outside influence that also if necessary could protect children because like they can do all kinds of amazing things that we don't even know about and like as only scratch the surface of in the books and so they should just uh, be in charge of uh, child welfare in the witching world. That sounds great. Because like Dobby is trying to do that in this in these first couple chapters, he f- fails miserably. But he's like he is really trying like to look out for like Harry's welfare on nothing more than like I heard you were great and you defeated Voldemort and I think that's a cause that I believe in and I'm like. That's more than you can say about a lot of the adult like witches in this series. Yeah. Oh man, if Neville had like an elf, a house elf friend to like stand up for him. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, they should. Uh, Hermione should get on paying all the house elves to uh, be social workers. Yeah, I feel like once Hermione's minister of magic, like all of this shit's gonna get taken care of. <laughs> you know, preschools and pre-Hogwarts schools just generally um we now officially have two hours recorded for this episode so we're gonna need to move on it's time for which NSA watch I always feel like (laughs) we should just replace the song with you just singing it no Here's what's up. Harry is locked in his room, being given like a cold can of soup and let out to pee twice a day. This is very bad. What's happening to him is very, very bad. And yet, when Dobby does this spell, immediately an owl is sent saying we have received intelligence that a hover charm was performed at your place of blah 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 at this exact time so they're watching you watching you watching you (laughs) and they don't care that he's trapped in his room like what the fuck is going on so they mentioned in like the last book about like a magical trace on like children who perform magic. So like, which is maybe only really effective for children like Harry that live with muggles. Cause I feel like there's always magic happening at like the Weasleys and like, how are you ever going to distinguish between what the children are doing and what the adults are doing? Right. It doesn't make any sense. And also, in terms, I guess this is a correction, maybe, but, like, Dumbledore and Arthur Weasley both do magic in the Dursleys' house during the summer, and the thing doesn't go off. 
But but they're adults. They don't have the trace though. Like is that the thing that they're that they're monitoring? Is but Dobby but did the spell. Harry Dobby didn't did do the it. Spell. Yeah, that is actually that doesn't make any. It doesn't sense make any you... sense. None whatsoever. But they do say it's up to wizard or witch parents to keep their kids from doing magic because there's no way that they could tell who is performing the spells in those houses. But like. If the ministry isn't. And it must be because like, I mean, Harry never verbally says a spell that blows up Aunt Marge, but it happens. Right. It, this whole, that whole thing is like totally nonsense. And it's just like, well, an adult wizard did it, but like that shouldn't change it because Dobby did the spell and Harry didn't. And like, (sighs) maybe, maybe this is a correction. I mean, or also Harry's being watched, but they don't give a fuck about him being in. Yeah, there's also that. Uh, yeah. Just like watching him in their crystal ball, like, eh, poor kid. <laughs> Move on. I mean, maybe it's just like, I don't know, the meme about NSA agents watching us all. I mean, they probably see a lot of fucked up shit, but they're like, eh. It's not It's not like against the government, so. But like. Carry on. Muggle NSA is, like, monitoring a fuckload more people than which NSA. I don't want anyone to be monitored, but I'm just saying, like, if if an agency monitoring a society is monitoring, like, as few people as, like, the witch NSA is monitoring, they should be in a position to, like, intervene in child abuse cases. They should. Maybe it's, like, automated. Like, you know how, like, you know... And like Gmail, you know, Google's like, we think this is spam. But every once in a while, it's like, this actually isn't spam. I don't know why you mark this as spam. I do know, because recently, one of the most recent Google updates decided that all of my bills to my clients are promotions. And so no no one who doesn't check their promotion folders sees their bills. And then I have to email them and be like, please pay me. And I'm really bad at that because I'm all water signs and it's no fun. Uh, (laughs) And I have to like go to my gay dad C and be like, please tell me that I have to send these reminder bills to my clients. That's what gay dads are for. Yeah. They're a Capricorn. Everyone should have a Capricorn dad available to them. That's why I don't have the promotions folder. I have to have mine like priority sorted. Cause if I don't see it, it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I this is a, this is one of the situations I feel like there's been like, a couple times where we've talked about something like this where it's like they're literally watching everyone all the time and yet here is this child in this like very very bad situation and like no one is doing anything like they have literally imprisoned him like they put bars in the window and imprisoned him yeah like that's not nothing about that is cool like Mm-mm. so basically you know any illegal actions quote unquote legal actions to free Harry are in the right yeah, definitely. I guess we'll talk about that next chapter about envisioning what the witches who showed up to fix that whole thing were just like, what, do they like show up and are like, why is there a deadbolt and like bars in the ground? Like, what is, what's going Ooh, like on? Like the here? Weasley kids? No, like the whoever shows up to deal fix the house and like. Oh, I totally forgot about that happening. Yeah, next next chapter. 
Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about things that are loosely related to health or science. (laughs) I was just thinking about what kind of creatures house elves are. Because in this chapter, they're described as having, like, large ears and large eyes, which leads me to think that they were at some point, something must prey on them in order for them to real in order to have had like big ears and large eyes like rabbits huh so oh wow bringing evolution into the magical world (laughs) cool that's exciting but their eyes are front facing rabbits have oh wait no rabbits have eyes on their side yeah prey have side side eyes predators have front eyes but i had to google animals with front-facing eyes and then there's terrible photoshop of animals with front-facing eyes it's horrifying (laughs) oh yeah i've seen those they're very good i don't know why that is horrifying to me yeah they're great oh you're right eyes that face forward are usually on predators i love biology um maybe the large eyes are more a mark of them being supposed to be nocturnal hmm like, what are those things called? The flying things with the giant eyes? Bats? No. They don't have giant eyes. The, like, lemurs. I literally Google searched giant-eyed animal. I, <laughs> I have found it. I just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, tarsiers. I don't even know what that is. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> Did you just Google it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at a National Geographic thing right now that says each of their eyes on its own is larger than their whole brain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Unlike humans, their eyes are fixed in their sockets, so they swivel their heads all the way around to look behind them 180 degrees, like a rainforest version of the exorcist. Also, owls do that. Their eyes are fixed. That's why they can swivel their heads almost all the way around, too. Okay, so, but tarsiers are nocturnal, right? Yeah. Tiny nocturnal primates. Okay, so that's my opinion now officially is that uh, house elves are naturally (laughs) nocturnal. And that's why their eyes are so big. And their ears, too, because it's nighttime. You need to be on the lookout for owls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like owls definitely would probably eat a house elf. Mm -hmm. So... I guess that that's really all I had. I just wanted to talk about the physicality of house elves and what what that means. Welcome to editorials, where we rant about stuff. <laughs> I, you look like you had a thing to I, say. I, so I do. Should. I have three editorials. I'm going to start with my angriest one, which is that the Dursleys tell the Masons that their nephew is very disturbed, and that's why they kept him upstairs, and then proceed to make Harry clean the whole kitchen while the Masons are still there. That sounds, like, so awkward. How did they not leave before the owl flew in? <laughs> like... I don't... And, like, again, this is a situation where these people should be, like, something really bad is happening with that kid what is going on it's very uncomfortable i mean unless the masons are really terrible because people 
I mean, Vernon assumed that the Masons were going to laugh at his Japanese golfer joke, so I guess that tells us something about them. Yeah. I mean, in general, I feel like white business people are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So, like, Dobby kind of knows about the diary a little bit, sort of, right? So, like, does he know that it's a horror crux or just that there's some really fucked up magic around it? (laughs) I've been doing, like, a bobbleheaded thing for, like, a minute, listeners. (laughs) I don't... That is a really good question. Which, which... Which brings up then the fact that a Harry could have saved himself a fuck ton of a fuck ton of like trouble in book seven if he had been like yo Dobby and creature I need some help getting this shit like oh my god people really sleep on house elves and their abilities I, <laughs> I swear to God that is true so what we know is that Malfoy knows that the diary will open the chamber of secrets and mm-hmm. he got it from voldemort so i feel like what dobby knows and that malfoy doesn't know is it's a horcrux so mm-hmm. i feel like that's i mean clearly clearly not or else he wouldn't have fucking dumped it in jenny's cauldron like a dumbass right. like right that must that Dobby can't know more than that. He can't know that it's a Horcrux, but he does know that it's like a magical item that Voldemort bewitched to for the purpose of opening the chamber. I bet that that Malfoy doesn't even know how it opens the chamber. I mean, I would assume I would assume not also. Cuz like who's he contested on Draco? He's not about to do that. It's like weird to think about Voldemort being like, hey, hang on to this BT dubs. If you ever put this at Hogwarts, it would open the Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) What? Okay, but so Voldemort loves his monologuing. He was probably like, listen to when I opened the fucking Chamber of Secrets and murdered a Muggleborn person. It's all in this diary about how, how I did it. I don't, I don't know. I feel like he would brag about shit like that. But, wow, no, I'm pretty sure that the whole plot of this book falls apart upon any critical examination whatsoever. <laughs> this is how, this is why I feel like, even though there's a lot of good information in this book, like, that becomes important in later books, that, like, it's not the strongest story. It's definitely like, not. Because... Uh, Without the Dobby subplot, it would all be fine. It'd be like, Malfoy is like, I have a thing that Voldemort gave me. It's probably not good for me to have this. I'm going to try and frame the Weasleys, because I hate those guys. Okay. But Dobby being like, oh, this is a plot to like make something bad happen at Hogwarts means that Malfoy knew that it would be do something but it doesn't make any sense that Voldemort would have told him that it would do something I yeah nope it sure doesn't hold up yeah maybe maybe Lucius like wrote in the diary and like was like oh fuck this like it tried to possess me fucking over it Lucius would literally never defile something that Voldemort <laughs> gave him. Like, if he was like, put this, keep it secret, keep it safe, and 
which just was like, I'm a right in it. Like I keep giving it to Ginny isn't keeping it safe though. He had no idea what the fuck was going to happen. Right. But he, he wasn't trying it at that point. I'm pretty sure what we're supposed to believe is that his only objective, he knew that cause like they're doing raids or something. And like, he's trying at the be- in the, in the next chapter, whenever he's trying to sell all of the shit that would get him in trouble and that's something that he couldn't sell. And so he's trying to, like, frame the Weasleys with it. He doesn't know mm. what it is. So at this point, he's just like, fuck it. You know? Which yeah. is weird if everyone knows that Voldemort was just, like, at Hogwarts the previous year. Malfoy should definitely be like, oh, shit, I better be, like... I better be getting ready to have my master come back and expect his, like, weird diary to still be safe. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, like, no one really knows about Horcruxes, like, like, they could have been like, oh, this is a dark artifact, but no one wouldn't have necessarily known. Like, the locker was, like, there's kind of like, oh, a weird locker, you lock it, you can't open. That's, that's weird. That went in the trash box. Well, sure, but a journal, like, a journal is not even something that you could, like, you know, do you want to buy this old journal? No, I don't. If you write in it, if you write in it, it writes back to you. I don't know. Right? Just <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> it's like it's like live journal. You'd like write in it. <laughs> Riddle did have live journal. <laughs> he invented live journal. This entire, this entire book is just Jenny getting way too into Tom Riddle's live journal. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> she had to know what was in those oh locked god. posts. She just had to oh know. Oh my god. I'm going <laughs> to cry. This is fucking funny. <laughs> the plot of this book is bad. More of the story. Alright, what was your... I have, I have one last thing, but what was your other thing? Alright, I have two more, but... So, the next one can be... Why slash how does Dobby know that Harry faced Voldemort and lived to tell about it at the end of the last school year? Does everyone know that Voldemort was in the back of Coral's head? Is that public <laughs> knowledge? I didn't think it was. Because I, I mean, thought it was like a big deal when it was like Voldemort is back. I mean, like, Draco Clue told his father, his parents, but, but like... does Draco know? I didn't realize that they had told the school that Voldemort had anything to do with it. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe it's all rumor at this point. It seems like folks are not necessarily inclined to believe Hogwarts students when they say things are happening. So, like, Draco might have been like, Harry defeated Voldemort. Lucius was like, that is not literally not possible. How did I not hear about this? And like, and like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like Dumbledore is necessarily like spreading the news about right. Harry murdering Quirrell, <laughs> fighting Baltimore. Wait, who? <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's very weird. If everyone does know, again, that makes the whole plot of this book even more confounding. Because, like, why is Lucius? getting rid of this thing if he realizes that Voldemort like there's 
actual evidence that Voldemort is not dead and like could rise again like why would he be like oh now is the time after 12 fucking years now is the time for me to get rid of this thing that he asked me to hold on to and like keep secret and safe like maybe this is just the book that is full of plot holes I'm going with that one Because, like, in the last book, the plot was kind of nonsense, but at least it, like, was coherent. Yeah. It was like, why does Harry care about this? We'll never know. But, like, Harry caring about it, like, logically leads from one thing to the other. But in, like, all of this is, like, literally just falling apart while we talk about it right now, and we're only in the second chapter. (sighs) Huh. All right. Your turn. I have one point, which sort of relates to my larger discussion about how selves being hella powerful, is that Dobby was intercepting Hegwood for months, or a month and a half, which is bananas. Like, he's just snatching those letters. But more importantly, this is what tracking numbers are for. Why are there not magical tracking numbers? I'm annoyed by this. Or, like, why didn't Hedwig, like, fly back to be like- Not Hedwig, she's locked in a cage. Oh, you're right. So there must have been Arrow, and then however the hell Hermione was getting letters and to Probably her. in the fucking muggle post. <laughs> she was... Dobby's just going through the mail, stealing it out of the mailman's bag before it yeah. gets to Harry. This is another thing that I think is a correction, and like over and over throughout the books is a correction because it's like oh like the weasleys are having all their mail search because harry is there and like you know owls being intercepted but there's like literally no like owls just go from one person to another like they should have the securest least traceable mail system and they seem to i mean harry can literally send mail addressed to a known fugitive without that causing issue. Yeah. But, but then it's like, Oh, all the mail is being checked. It's like, who is checking it? It's a fucking bird. Like, what do you mean you're checking the mail? It comes when it wants to, like, what are you talking about? And it's even stranger. Cause it's like the, the, the other time we see mail being intercepted is when like, Harry's like something is some something is wrong with Hedwig. Something attacked her, right? And that's clearly like someone like sent something out looking specifically for Hedwig. Mm-hmm. But then there's there's a point later once like Voldemort is rising where it's like clearly our mail is being tracked. It's being read, and it's like there's no central fucking post office. There's like no one who's gonna like you know mark this as suspect or whatever like it just goes from one house to the next house via bird like maybe someone's out there just stunning a bunch of owls i don't know oh my god (laughs) (laughs) well you killed me (laughs) what do you do i'm an owl stunner (laughs) Stand in a field. Sometimes I stun hawks by accident. <laughs> Just sort in a field surrounded by like vultures. Like, like, like... <laughs> Someone goes by in like a helicopter. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
fuck kind of demon activity is going on in that field. It's just one person surrounded by like 20 feet of like seemingly dead bird. It's like, what kind of literal witchcraft is this? Just like standing in the middle, like reading a letter. like. <laughs> and then all that work and it's just like, oh, updates are updates about someone so's grandkids don't care and then you gotta like write it and like give it back to the owl oh my god <laughs> this might have been a witch at a save point <laughs> <laughs> okay well okay <laughs> was, this, is my, this is my last editorial <laughs> great my last editorial is also about owls and it is why don't the Dursleys just get screens? <laughs> Seems like one owl flies into your house and you're like, you know what would be a good idea? Screens. Wait, did they say it flew into the window? I wasn't even paying mm-hmm. attention. Yeah. What? Owls always flying in through the windows everywhere. Do they not have mosquitoes in England? I'm about to say, like, right. Aren't you going to get, like, flies and shit in your in your home? <laughs> Put in some goddamn screens. Put in some screens. Then you just have like a weird situation where a bird like slams into a screen and then flies away dazed or whatever. And there's not like an owl in your living room. Right. It's like, oh, there's an owl with like a newspaper or a letter outside the screen. Just totally normal. Mostly everyone would just like jump and scream and then you'd like go look and be like, nothing's there. That was weird. Done. It's probably just a really large June bug. So, that's it. Uh, They should get some screens. It's weird that they don't have them. That's how you get fruit flies. Welcome to Dear Hedwig, our advice column. This week's letter. Dear Hedwig, I recently found out that there is a plot to harm someone I greatly admire. I cannot tell this person why they are in danger or go to the authorities because I am bound by heavy-duty non-disclosure agreements and would be severely punished if I said anything direct. There is some leeway in what I can say to this person I admire, but I don't know if they will believe me. This is a life-or-death situation. I am thinking about making sure they cannot physically go to the place they will be harmed. How do I keep them safely away? Help. Sincerely, stuck between a rock and an oven door. (laughs) That's a hard situation. I mean, I think the best that this letter writer could do is... I think they should definitely tell the person as much as they know. And, I mean, if there's anyone else that the letter writer trusts to that might be able to act on this information where they cannot, would also be ideal. Sometimes in order to do the right thing, you have to do something that's not allowed, I guess. That's very true. I mean, I think the other option is, you know, you shouldn't, uh, there are avenues for anonymous tips to the authorities. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, you can send something anonymously both to the authorities and to the person in question, just being like, hey, here's some information that you need to know. And... And not get yourself involved any further. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't make the person you're concerned about, like, you can't really force their hand for the action that they're going to take. You can only really control, like, your own actions. 
Yeah. I that line about I'm thinking about physically stopping them, that's really like I guess what like hit me was like, oh man, this is that's like two wrongs don't make a right, you know, <laughs> to get like super cliche, but like just because someone is in danger doesn't give you permission to like put put them in a situation. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about kidnap, basically. Like you can't kidnap someone because you know that they're in danger without telling them why. Especially since it sounds like the person that you're worried about isn't like it doesn't sound like you necessarily have like a close relationship with this person, so it's just that's just going to be difficult just because like if you're like acquaintances or like if this person like doesn't even like know you personally, like they're they're just going to be less inclined to to listen to you, and if you do anything physically to them, it could that could be that that's a crime. That could be a crime. They might misconstrue your actions. And it might make things worse. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I think your best bet is definitely like an anonymous tip off. And good luck. <laughs> good good luck, letter writer. Um, I hope I hope nothing terrible befalls the person you're concerned about. Yeah, me too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Gaily Prophet. You can follow us on uh, social media at The Gaily Prophet on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, you should definitely check out our, our check out our social, especially if you want to see photos of Tarsiers. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Along with all the other uh, fun art that we create every week for this podcast. If you would like to uh, send your own Dear Hedwig letter to us, or any other kind of listener questions or comments, uh, you can email us at thegailyprofit at gmail.com. Also, we're still running our giveaway. Um, so if you want to leave us five stars on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, we will, uh, once we get to 50 reviews, we will be doing a drawing um, to give out 10 stickers to 10 lovely reviewers. And then one lucky person will get a t-shirt, which are awesome. You should definitely check out the photos of them on our social and also on our website, thegailyprofit.com. Speaking of t-shirts, we have a shop. It has cool shit in it. It has t-shirts and mugs, two kinds of stickers, and postcards of our season one episode art. And as of the day that we're recording this really beautiful prince of the Hagrid cartoon that Theo made. So they're like eight by eight. They're on really sturdy paper. They're matte. They're beautiful. You should definitely check out our shop on our website. If you want to follow me in between episodes, uh, I'm on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit. And on Instagram at Live from Detroit. And you can find me on the internet at larkmalachi.com. That's L A R K M A L A K A I.com, where you can do things such as schedule a tarot reading with me, learn about the nutrition work that I do, or nominate your healthcare provider to become better at dealing with trans clients. You can also find me on Instagram at Lark Malachi or at Radical Healer. 
And you can also support us on Patreon. Our spoiler warning is by Sarah Sarwar. Sarwar? Okay, good question. So (laughs) Sarah pronounced her name for us in our episode that she was a guest on, and I believe it's Sarwar, like warrior, because her uh, uh, social handle is Sarwarrior. Uh, but Jesse and I, like Sarah, are from the Midwest, and we just love an ugly vowel sound. <laughs> and we've been pronouncing it with ugly, ugly vowel sound this whole time. And we're sorry, Sarah. Our logo and every beautiful Harry Potter-related comic on our website is by Theo Julian Forrester. You can find him on Instagram at Theo Julian Forrester. And our the music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And you can find more details about this in our show notes. Until next time. Tracking number. GAC. Self-harm. Ornithophobia. Eminem. A form of ornithophobia. Fear of owls. Eminem, who is well known for his singing and songwriting talents, possesses a fear of owls. The fear of owls represents a component of ornithophobia, which is the fear of birds. Oh my god. (laughs) So now we all know something very important. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is, we sure do.